Saturdays on the Coast on SEN, all thanks to Robson Civil Projects celebrating their 60th anniversary and we thank them for their ongoing support and also McDonald Jones Homes. Start your dream home with McDonald Jones Homes. Well, Buttes, this week, I've got to say I'm extremely lucky that I had the chance to talk to Mark Hughes, two-time Premiership winner and also from the Mark Hughes Foundation. Mm. Can you believe they've raised almost $30 million? It's a phenomenal effort from a guy who, you know, probably just goes on from what he's done as a player. Like, you know, very underrated, uh, very, I guess, understated in the way he went about his business. But, you know, he always got the job done, whether it was with Curry Curry, whether it was with the Knights, whether it was with New South Wales, he always got the job done. And he's getting the job done now with the Mark Hughes Foundation. Yeah, with his wife, Kira Lee. They founded yeah. that in 2014 and just an incredible success story. Butes, uh, this might be a little painful for you because he talks about 1997 and mm. the transition from Curry to the Knights. He makes his debut in round nine but wins a premiership later on that year and En route to the grand final, they go past the North Sydney Bears. Certainly did, yeah. It was the preliminary final, and I remember it. Uh, and he talks about, I'm sure he's going to touch on the tackle by uh, Darren Albert because, my goodness, what a tackle it was. And it was it was the game changer. Uh, you know, a lot of people remember Darren Albert scoring that try in the grand final to win it. But they wouldn't have got there if it wasn't for that tackle by Darren Albert. And it was with five, ten minutes to go. And Matt Sears was running away. And he was one of the quickest players in the game. Darren Albert was the quickest player in the game and he ran him down in the corner. Yeah, I'd like to see Darren Albert on the track. I mean, uh, what a set of wheels. He had some wheels and he could move and uh, you know what? Again, those Newcastle players will never forget the fact that Darren Albert pulled down Matt Sears. Yeah, where is he these days? Does he show up at any of the reunions? Dar- or? Darren Albert? Yeah, well, he's. Uh, I, I think he's living up on the Gold Coast. I, I played with him in a uh, charity game uh, several years ago, uh, and he was still as quick as ever. So the little whippet that he was. Yeah, and uh, also in this first segment, so we're three weeks away from a grand final. He'll talk about 1997, the big day, and that it was more about just the footy team. They felt like they were carrying the entire Hunter Valley on their back and BHP had closed down. So they were playing for more than just 80 minutes of football and the uh, the Premiership Trophy. Let's go, to, let's go to Mark Hughes. This is from the Perfect 10 podcast. And he starts talking about his journey at Curry in 1995. For me... Um you know, I, I worked really hard as a local league player. I made good choices. I could have um, went down other paths that some of my mates went down, but I was focused on my journey. Um, I, I, there was a deep inner belief that something special um, might, might, might happen if I, I stick to my guns. And I think, um, you know, very grateful that I, I did that. And I think, um, you know, for anyone in life, if, um, if you've got a dream and you want to believe in yourself and you want to live and breathe it and get up and chase that dream, you give yourself a really good chance. And um, whether it's footy or whether it's professional or, or family life, I, I encourage people to really chase their dreams. Yeah, I just want to say congratulations too because I just finished listening to your podcast with Dermot Brereton and it is absolutely outstanding, mate. Just so good. One of the best podcasts that I've heard. Now, Dermy, who I remember fondly, he's a five-time premiership winner with Hawthorne, and I still remember him strutting his stuff at centre-half forward. A bit of a bad boy of the AFL at times, a guy yeah. you love to hate. But, gee, he's done a fantastic interview with you, mate. Oh, that's, that's you know, thanks, mate. And um, it was great to talk to him. He's obviously a legend of AFL. I'm not, a, I'm not 
big on AFL, but look, he seems like a humble, nice guy, and it was really, really great to chat with him. And, um, you know, I do the odd podcast along the way, and if I can, someone listening, and they might get something out of my chat that might inspire them or make them feel better, then it's worth every minute of my time. Yeah, well, he kind of skimmed over Curry, but I want to... I want to talk to you about that premiership-winning team. So, Butte and I, we spoke at length yesterday about this. You've pretty much got the best seat in the house to watch a player by the name of Ewan McGrady weave his magic at Curry. Yes, Ewan McGrady. Now, uh, listeners might remember him from his days at Canterbury and he got a Rothmans medal um, and didn't want to turn up for the night or something, but what a magical player. And, yeah, I was 18 and... You know, Ewan was um, on the way. I think he was mid thirties, but he, you know, wasn't the best trainer. wasn't at the front in the four hundred <laughs> man in the four hundred meter run throughs. But wow, what a you know, just on game day, he would just deliver this magic. You know, it was uh, it was for me uh, as an eighteen year old. I'm so grateful that I wasn't in the Knights junior system and that I was around men, real men, you know, and local local guys that you know that played 200 games for Curry Curry and are local legends and good people. And I learned a lot off those types of guys. And um, it was really important for my, to win a premiership at Curry was huge. I, I didn't think, I, I didn't think footy could get any better for me. I was 18, it was 1995. Um, and we won this premiership, the town, the way they, <laughs> the workers club, what the, the way that we celebrated, it was, it was unreal, but uh, things were going to get a bit better um, down the track. Yeah, absolutely. Steve Lenane in that team as well? Yeah, Steve Lenane, um, Dragon, Knights, to the to Curry, and he was the captain coach, and I just owe so much to him. He gave me an opportunity. He orchestrated Curry's wins. You know, he'd put the ball into touch. He'd start a scrap. He'd, um, you know, he'd, he'd pass the ball. Well, everything he did was the right moves to make sure Curry would win. And Steve Lenane, we won three premierships, and had his cousin and brother in the team. Um, and, yeah, they were a huge part of um, Curry's amazing run of free premierships. So you hear these days, you hear people say, play what's in front of you or eyes up football. You hear that term quite a lot. But I'd imagine at Curry, that's exactly what your team was all about. Yeah, it was great local league. And every, every team had sprinklings of NRL experience in their team. Uh, it was a really great comp to be a part of. And especially at our home ground at Curry there, the crowd were on top of you. They were very vocal. Uh, no, no opposition team liked coming there. And we'd just play some sparkling um, rugby league, um, <laughs> passing the ball and these, all these great tries. And, yeah, it was really good footy to watch. Um, and I, I'm just, yeah, I'm really glad. I only had one year of grade. And, I'm, you know, I played a fair bit of reserve grade um, and played probably five to eight first grade games and one of them was a premiership so I'm glad I got to experience that because I'm a curry boy at heart and I'm still I'm still involved in the club in a minor way I I just I just love the joint and you know Johnny Sattler's a curry boy you know there's, there's we've, we've produced so many internationals Eddie Lumsden um there's so many that are curry boys and we're all proud of it yeah yeah and what about the team of the century which you are in starting at fullback I mean there's uh, Johnny Sattler's the yeah. captain of that team yeah, there was a, there's a there was a, I'd say I think there's about twelve internationals in that squad and yeah that was a proud moment for me because um you know growing up just a curry boy and just love the the bulldogs and to to be named in that team was a huge honour and I you know I've got a I've got the jersey on the wall at home and it sits proudly and 
it's something that no one can ever take away from me to be in that 100-year team is is an amazing achievement. Yeah, yeah, well said. And so you go from there and you finally get a trial. You get a taste of the Newcastle Knights. What's that trial like and what happens next? Peter Brady, a uh, Curry legend, um, he was coaching the Knights 21s. So basically I uh, played the grand final and then at that point the Mariners were floating around. So I had a big meeting with them and they were very keen for me to sign and offered me at the time 20000 um, which was a lot of money. And I felt after meeting with them that I'm probably going to have to take that deal and, and go with them. But something deep inside of me said Knights. Um, I don't know what it was. So I had to go the hard way and trial with the Knights rather than sign a contract with the Mariners. And I, I scraped into the 21s that year. I was 19. And that was 1996. Uh, Denny Badiris was uh, in that team and had a, a solid year there. You know, I didn't break records, but I had a good solid year. And I, at the end of that season, there was no guarantees. I, I saw the Knights start training on the news that, that summer for, for the 97 season. And I realized uh, I wasn't there. So I rang Steve Lenane, who, who was in the, as a Knights uh, reserve grade coach, and sort of said to Steve, I'm not there. What's, what's happening here? And from there, the Curry boys looking after Curry boys, I, um, I got a trial for the 97 season in reserve grade. Yeah, what a great story that is. And so you make your debut. Is it round nine of 1997? Uh, what's that memory like for you? Yeah, so back in them days, you'd play reserve grade and come off the bench in first grade. So the first time I went on the field uh, was against Gold Coast in, on a rainy night up there. And I come off the bench and managed to score a try. We got beat in that game. Um, but I just remember getting home and I had some curry mates come down and we celebrated all night. I just couldn't <laughs> believe it. It was unreal. And then my first starting game was against the Roosters on a Friday night at Newcastle. Uh, it was raining and we had a draw there. But Wow, I just I'd made the big time. I just I couldn't believe I was out there. The noise, the the pace of the game, it was. I just was pinching myself. You know, yeah. I was twenty. I, I was I was in the local park playing eighteen months earlier. So wow, it was yeah, it was surreal. Yeah, take us inside the culture. So who's driving the culture at that point in nineteen ninety seven? And you mentioned about going from park footy straight to the NRL. I mean, what's that transition like? Well, driving culture. That's an easy answer. Uh, and that's Paul Harrigan. You know, I've never been involved with a better leader uh, in my life than Chief. And we had blokes like Mark Glanville and Tony Butterfield, seasoned, hard, been there since 88 when we started. So they were our forward leaders. But then we had the magicians, Andrew and Matty Johns, who did a lot of coaching with Mal Reilly, uh, helped structure the team. Uh, Matty was a real student of the game. Uh, with Joey was more natural just a natural uh footballer but maddie would work really hard on his game probably yeah extremely hard on his game to to get where he got in the game so we had this mixture of some really great seasoned senior guys and then we had these young outside backs um owen craigie would have been 18 i i was 20 matt gidley 19 or 20 adam mcdougall was 21 darren albert 20 21 so we were very young on the, in the outside back area, but we had some really tough, hard leaders in the forward pack. And then, you know, a young, a 21-year-old Andrew Johns who was playing State of Origin and, um, and Matty Johns steering us around. And, and what a leader in Mal Reilly. It's not what he said. It's, I think, the way he did it. And I'll never forget one day we were uh, in the 
um, pool doing our rehab <laughs> after a game, and we decided that um, we'd do underwaters. So each per- we'd, we'd try and see who would go furthest underwater as a bit of a comp. And, um, you know, I, I did it and might have got 15 metres, <laughs> if I'm lucky. And we all had a go and did pretty ordinary. And Mal, Mal got up out of the grandstand and walked over and he, and put his, he took his suit off. He always looked a million dollars, Mal. Put his speedos on, came over, and then he, we all parted. And then he, and he goes and he, <laughs> he, he was just going so slow underwater like a turtle. <laughs> but he kept going. He kept going. He did 50 metres underwater, which was – which was 20-odd metres further than any of us. And I think that's his way of saying, you know, you can do anything. And I'll never forget that moment. Yeah, what an absolute legend of the game he is. Is he back in the UK? Yeah, he is. His son lives over here uh, in Newcastle. But, um, yeah, I've been been lucky enough to be uh, really close with Mal post-Rugby League. Um, He lived here for a while and I got to know him really well and, yeah, I hope he's going well over there. He, he's a good age now, and um, but I'm sure he's still fit. And, you know, Mal, he, he, he didn't really want to talk about those days where he was so tough and what, what gladiatorial type behavior that he used to do. He was so nice and prim and proper. And But now and again, it would come out naturally. And I remember one day we were doing boxing and Stephen Crow challenged him to a fight. So they both... <laughs> Went in the ring, and I led I led Stephen Crow into the ring as 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 his trainer, and I think Matty Johns might have led Mal in, and they went at it, and Crowy put one on his nose, and Mal saw red, and it just was on, it was on for young and old for about a minute, and then Paul Harrigan had to jump in between them, but yeah, what a leader, and as like I said, not he's more of an action man leader where you just you follow his example. Yeah. So 97 must feel surreal because do you ever feel like the moons were aligned? I think you come from behind against Parramatta. North Sydney have got you on the rack. They look like making the grand final for the first time in about 40-odd years. JT has an off day with a boot. I think he misses all three Mm. conversions and you guys get home. So you're on this roll in 97. Then you take on the juggernauts that are manly. Yeah, look, Parramatta uh, were a good team that year and could probably think themselves unlucky. They were beating us, like you said, by 20 points at half time um, in the first semi. And then, yeah, with North Sydney, we're a very good team. And, and I'm sure Mick's told you all about that. But yeah, just a little bit of luck their way, um, particularly uh, Darren Albert's tackle on Matt Sears, which was out of this world. Sears, he was running about 70 metres and, and Albie got him right on the try line and uh, he couldn't get the ball down. It must go down as one of the best tackles ever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you throw in um, the off day from JT with the boot, they would think themselves very unlucky. But it just felt like it was meant to be. It was just the town was buzzing. It was electric. And um, we just felt we had this real common cause, more than just a team. We were a, we were a community. We were, a, we were playing for our town. BHP had closed earlier that year. There was a little bit going on in the town. And we, uh, the town needed a boost. and. I think once we got there, grand final day, there was this inner belief that we could we could do something very special here. Yeah, I've got to admit, they're some of the best images I've ever seen in national sport where the whole community has embraced your team. Yeah, I, I learned a lot about community at a young age from there. I, I, I know they lifted us and they, they helped us lift that trophy. And I sort of felt said to myself, you know, I'm going to put back into this community because what they've just done for us over the last month, I'll never forget. So, yeah, to, to witness that as a 20-year-old and see the difference they make, see 
see them lining the streets as we were leaving, see them lining the streets as we get home, back at the workers' club. Um, we had this parade <laughs> three days later. We had, you know, 100,000 people spread around Newcastle, you know, as we drove through in our cars. They were just magical moments, and no one that was ever there will ever forget that, and they still talk about it now. I know it's old news, but we just can't let it go. And um, it was just, yeah, just a, a magical period. Mark Hughes, and that is from my podcast, Buttes, The Perfect Ten. And so he steps through going from Curry, finally getting a trial at the Newcastle Knights. But I love the fact that he said that he felt like playing against against the men was more beneficial to his career than actually being in grade at the Knights. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, you could see, uh, and that was part of his game, but, you know, when you have that experience against real men, and he used the term real men, because that's how it was back then. They were real men, and they, you know, they're playing in the bush. So you know what? They were hard, uh, and he learnt. He would have learnt a lot. And you know, to be playing alongside the likes of a Ewan McGrady and Steve Lanane, you know, he's got some really uh, guys with a lot of experience and a lot of skill. Uh, so you know, it would have been for him a massive eye opener. But also, when he does go to the Knights, he's got two other geniuses there in Matt Johns and some guy called Andrew Johns who happened to yeah. go okay. They, they went to school together. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. grew up just down the road from each other. So suddenly you've got this, um, you know, this connection that they've had for a long time and he can fit in. And then you think about the real men that he played with at Curry. He actually had some real men in his pack as well, the yeah. likes of Mark Glanville, Paul Chief Harrigan and Tony Butterfield, plus yeah. the other guys there. But they were the ones that led the way. And, and you know what? It was a really good combination in terms of or balance of that side, and it was no coincidence they had the success they did. How are you feeling, mate? Because he spoke, oh, spoke about the Bears. Mate, I'm still crying. My tears are still rolling <laughs> down my eyes. But it's okay. We'll cope and we'll get on with it. I, I have no doubt that in the next section, the A1 grand final is going to come up at some yeah, stage. and There'll be more tears, I can it, assure you. It's going to hurt more. So are you okay if we talk about that in the second hour? Oh, look, I don't think I have a choice, do I? <laughs> I don't think I have a choice. Yeah, well, you've heard part of the podcast, and just how lucky are we to have – an hour with Mark Hughes. Oh, look, he's an absolute champion guy who I think, you know, if there was um, if there was awards given out for champion blokes, he would certainly be on the podium, there's no doubt about that, and probably be standing on the, the number one dais because what he's managed to do, not only as a player, but what he's done post his career, far outweighs anything he did on the football field. Yeah. Saturdays on the coast, all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and McDonald Jones Homes on SEN. Saturdays on the coast on SEN, all thanks to our great mates at Robson Civil Projects and also McDonald Jones Homes. Uh, this is going to hurt Butte significantly. He might leave the studio. It's Mark Hughes from my podcast, The Perfect Ten. We caught up earlier this week, and Mark talks about the 2001 Grand oh, Final. Come on, mate. You're killing me. What a win. <laughs> Absolutely sensational. Massive underdogs. They get the job done 30 points to 24. Yeah, um, so... Uh, four years later from the 97, uh, it was a full competition. So that was a bit different. We had the split comp for 97. So it was it was nice to be part of a full competition. Um, and Parramatta had a record-breaking season. They were outstanding. Uh, they were well-coached and they were just scoring points for fun. And they were, the defence was unbreakable. And they went in as red-hot favourites. But we, we just had those big match players, um, you know, Looking back at the teams now, you look at our team and just chock-a-block full of champions. And, you know, that was the difference in the end. Um, we handled the occasion better in the lead-up. I feel like the week leading into it, we handled that extremely well. 
And then we came out and blokes like Steve Simpson and Ben Kennedy and Bill, Bill Peden on the edge, uh, they got some room and scored some tries. And, um, you know, we put ourselves without, well, I don't think we dropped the ball the whole half and we put ourselves 24 nil up or something. And, you know, the game was pretty much over at half time. Yeah. One recollection I have is I went down for the coin toss and I saw Nathan Kalis and he looked so intense. And then I looked at Joey and not sure if you've seen the movie Cinderella Man where Russell Crowe's character, James J. Braddock, he's got his final fight, or he thinks it is, at Madison Square Garden. And he's got this look in his eye like this is his moment. And that's how I felt with Joey. There's 90,000 in the house. Joey's looking around at the crowd and soaking it in. And he's using that to motivate himself, whereas Nathan Kalis looked too worried, in my opinion. Yeah, and look, there was another 16 of us uh, in the same mindset as Joey back in the dressing rooms, and I think there was another 16 of um, of Nathan Kalis's in the parish rooms. You know, the, the leading in, we went to the grand final breakfast, we were having fun, we were laughing, and we looked at the paraboys and we sort of said, wow, these guys are stiff. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, this is getting on top of them. And um, yeah, maybe that's, that was the difference, but um, that was our day that day. But they they had a they had a wonderful season, para. But unfortunately, you only ever really remember the premier. Yeah. Hey, can I also ask? Two thousand and one is when you play all three games in the State of Origin series. So obviously, that's a huge thrill for you, and you show your versatility because I think you play the entire series at fullback, and your opposing number is the great Darren Lockyer before before he makes the switch to five eighth. But it's a series that's famous because someone flies back from the UK for Game 3. Uh, tell us more. Yeah, they, they brought a little leprechaun back named Alan Langer <laughs> for Game 3. Um, but, yeah, look, um, I was just, once again, I probably a couple of injuries went my way, but I played a lot of fullback at times for the Knights and played played some of my best footy there at fullback. And at, at the at that period, I, I was play, had a long stretch at fullback in 01 and, um, I got a feeling David Peachy or someone got injured, sort of opened the door for me and um, went in and, yeah, just really great. It was one all leading into the third game up in Queensland and they brought Alfie back and at home they just were too good for us. But from my point of view, um, just so proud and honoured to have worn the blue jersey and, yeah, it's something that I look back very fondly. Hey, uh, I just want to talk to you about the Newcastle Knights. Uh, your beloved Knights haven't won since 2001. Yeah, they played finals last year, but it looks like they took a big step backwards this year and the number seven jump is almost like a poison chalice since Joey left the club. Could you share your thoughts on why they've struggled since those halcyon days? Yeah, well, I think in recent times... Um, I think we lost Mitchell Pearce at the start of the season. And, you know, yeah, sure, he had his knockers, but he was experienced and he knew how to steer a team around. And when we lost him, we didn't replace him. So these days the spine gets talked about a lot, but it's so important. You're number nine, you're number seven, you're number six, and you're number one. Well, unfortunately for us, our number nine got injured early. So really our number nine was developing, our number seven was developing, our number six we had lots of different number sixes. We had Kalen at fullback, who on his day is brilliant, but he's had some injuries this year. Um, so unfortunately, he hasn't been on the paddock. So in these key positions, Steve, we, we're just we're not at the top of our game. And you look at the good teams that are still in the comp, you look at their spine, their experience, and their cohesion. Um, yeah, it's another world from us. So we've got to find 
some answers in these areas. Now, I hear Brooks getting mentioned, uh, but I think he's tied up still with the Tigers. Um, they don't grow on trees either. So yeah, it's one thing saying you need a new halfback, need a new 5'8", but where are they? Who do you think is in the box seat to win in 2022? It looks like it'll be hard to beat the Panthers. Yeah, for sure, Steve. Um, you know, I just uh, spent a bit of time with Ivan Cleary at a talk about two months ago, and he was talking about the culture and the way they do it, and I couldn't have been more impressed. And, um, you know, he's son at halfback. He's fresh. He's ready. I don't want to say unbeatable, but, geez, I reckon, I reckon almost unbeatable in the grand final. If they're vulnerable, it might be next game uh, after that big win they just had. But, geez, they're a good team. So there's six teams left, but I really feel that uh, it's Penrith to lose at the moment. Yeah. This might be a little deep and meaningful, but, Mark, do you ever feel that this was your destiny? I mean, sometimes I feel that, you know, we've all got a purpose why we're on earth and you won two premierships, but I think you've changed so many lives with what you've accomplished since 2013. Yeah, I've thought about this a little bit. And, um, like, I know they say that everything happens for a reason, but I think some of the the devastation and what I've seen and, and that in this journey has probably made me to think that no, not everything does happen for a reason. Um, but when you look at my situation, I feel like I was in training for this moment. Um, my upbringing at Curry, my resilience, um, rugby league. I had to, I had to, I had to fight for every meter of yardage, and you know I was not as strong as everyone or fast. So I, I had to work really hard at my rugby league. So everything I've done, I've had to, I've had to work hard at. But I have shown resilience. Um, I, I, I've I've been involved in the community a long time, and I think the community are paying me back now. Yeah, it has been a wonderful ride, mate. Um, I probably still would change it if I was to, so I could be healthy, but um, I can't do that. So I'm just going to run with this, continue to do my work. I've got work to do, and I'm going to do it till I create history and solve brain cancer. So it's it's exciting. Beautiful way to finish the show, Buttes. Mark Hughes talking about the Mark Hughes Foundation where him and his wife, Kiralee, they formed it in 2014. They've raised almost $30 million and what an incredible achievement. Yeah, certainly is, mate. Look, you know, you can only take your hat off to him and uh, Kiralee and, you know, they've done an amazing job and they'll continue to do it. And uh, there are so many – I know it impacted you, Steve, that, you know, part of that uh, interview there. Yeah, well, I went to the um – went to the website and there's some stories about people that didn't make it. And yep. the majority, the majority don't make it. Yeah, it's the yeah. biggest killer of people under the age of 40, a biggest cancer killer. And that's a harsh reality. Uh, it can't be all fairy tales and it can't be, it's just got to be real. And unfortunately, this is the uh, the bad side of what, what he's trying to do. Yeah, there's a tribute to a young boy who was 20 and no symptoms, woke up one day with a headache. So, you know, well done to Mark and Kiralee and everyone involved and Beanie Rand as well. He spoke about Matt Callender and yep. his contribution. So an absolute legend, Mark Hughes, and can't thank him enough for coming on the podcast. 100%, mate. Let's wrap up the show, mate. We've got to go. Yeah, finals weekend, prelims. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Uh, then we'll be one week away from the grand final. Saturdays on the coast on SEN.